from the fabric that you see, it's actually weaved by an artisan from north of Thailand. It does take them a whole month to weave 30 meter of fabric. And the color as well that comes with the fabric, it's a hand dye and hand pick from native plants. And the um, making of the item itself, we only work with a home tailor. There's just somebody behind the story of where your clothes come from. We like to operate in small batches to minimize waste, ensure that the people who are producing the clothes are getting what they deserve. I think that's very important to us and it determines a lot of a lot of how we approach what we do. Welcome to Mindful Business Founder, the podcast for fashion business founders seeking to build a meaningful and profitable business. I'm Liki Tang, and I'm here with you today to find out how mindful founders build strong businesses that deliver value to people and to the planet. Today, I'm delighted to share my conversation with my two guests, Nan and Carl, who have joined us from Bangkok. Nan and Carl are a married couple, and they are the founders of the brand Seeker Retriever, a brand that brings the conversation of ethical and sustainable fashion to the very next level. Nan and Carl will tell us the story of how the brand was born from the love for vintage clothing and how a personal exploration has led them to a community of weather in the mountains in the northern parts of Thailand. They will also explain how the human aspect is at the core of the brand value and how it is translated in terms of production and in the way they interact with their own customers. They will also share with us why they think that their brand is not for everyone and why that's perfectly fine, as they are more focused on building connections and finding their tribe, the tribe of people that share the same values. We also covered many other topics, and I had so much fun in this conversation. This story is again very inspiring, because it is another story of how a small and independent brand, in their own way, is changing the conversation of the fashion business. I'm thrilled to share this conversation with you today at Mindful Business Founder. Today we're joined by Nan and Carl from Seeker and Retriever. Welcome, Nan and Carl. Thank you for having us. Where are you from and where are you calling from? So um, I originally grew up in Thailand. My mom come from the northern part of Thailand, while my dad is like a Bangkokian by birth. But I grew up in the United States. I study film and photography there in Philadelphia. And pretty much was there for like most of the significant year of my life, which is like 14 to, I guess, 24. So um, you would say that I'm both here and there at the same time. And I just came back to uh, Thailand recently. What about you, Carl? Yeah, I'm from Australia originally, a little town north of Sydney called Newcastle. Uh, I've been living living in Bangkok, Thailand for around eight years now. And this is where I, I met Nan about seven years ago. You're both the founders of a ready-to-wear brand named Seeker and Retriever. Correct. Who's this brand is for? Who is it for? Who are your clients? And what is the change you're trying to make with your brand? 
So originally, uh, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a backstory here. Uh, the brand Seeker Retriever actually started as a vintage stall. So at first, um, our client base are a little bit more of a younger generation. Um, it was inspired by the time when I was living in the States where we can go thrifting. So like the brand was a lot of nice vintage finds and things that we wanted to share to the market um, in Bangkok and all over the world. Um, at first, our client base was quite young, I guess would be like a working age and college students. But then as we grew into a more handmade artisanal base, we have expanded our line into all ages. Like as we say, always our clothing are timeless and you could wear it whether you're 18 or 60. So I would say that we have stuff for everybody of all age and all sizes. Yes. Can you describe what your what's special about your brand in terms of um, not necessarily in terms of design, but more in terms of um, how is it made and uh, the philosophy behind your brand? Seeker Retriever brand philosophy is definitely um, handmade, everything from start to finish. So from the fabric that you see online, it's actually weaved by an artisan from north of Thailand. It does take them. A whole month to weave 30 meter of fabric and with the color as well that comes with the fabric it's a uh, hand dye and hand pick from native plants and the um, making of the item itself we only work with a home tailor so it's only actually one person who would be making the clothes every step along the process of making one piece of items is touched by the real human being there's just somebody behind the story of where your clothes come from and um, that is a big philosophy of our brand, is to put the people behind the process out there for everyone to know. Yeah. And, and it goes back to the waving stage of the fabric itself. Yes, correct. So like from the, um, the fabric and the clothing that you see, it comes from a little yarn. So like from the very, very first steps. Yes. And so it's from the village up northern Thailand. Yes, we work with a weaving community in Jason, uh, Lampang, which is about two hours from the main city. And it's like a little community in the mountain. It's actually quite beautiful there. And I would love for you to visit sometime. They have a hot spring there where it's like a special thing where our weaver would um, coat the fabric in the hot spring water after they have weave and dye it as well. And um, the mineral in the hot spring up there locked in all the color and make the fiber of the fabric quite soft. So as you wear it, um, journey along with it, it gets softer and softer as time goes by, just like leather. So that's one special thing about the fabric. And that's the reason why we wanted to work with this weaving community so much. And they are also all women. And how did you find out about this community, this weaving community? As I said in the beginning, my mom is from the north of Thailand. And um, when the brand started, I've, I've gone through, I, I guess, a personal realization. When um, that, during that time when I came back to Thailand, my mom has gone through a few health problems. And she unfortunately has passed away before her time. And um, with that being said, uh, I was away for so long, you know, living in the States. And um, I felt like I have never been in touch with who I am as a person from my mom's side. So I do went up uh, to the north of Thailand to find out a little bit more about my heritage. And um, 
My mom's actually from、um, Payao, which is a province next over to Lampang. But I visited all the provinces and discovered the weaving community there. I guess、um, back then, people in Thailand isn't really given too much value to the handmade product that the artisans has up there. And I see that as an opportunity to kind of spread the craft out and letting people know that you know we have this really good stuff up there. And what about you, Carl? Why did you decide to join this venture? Yeah, I think,、uh, like Nen said, it, it, it stems from a love of vintage clothing originally. So,、uh, having moved to Bangkok,、um, one of the most famous things here, I guess, is、uh, vintage shopping because you have large night markets and、uh, Chatterchuck Market is known throughout the world, I guess.、Uh, but yeah, it's just mountains and mountains of clothes.、Um, And it's for me. I think I've always been interested in the story of、uh, just unique items. I guess so.、Uh, you know, the thrill of finding something that's different, or the thrill of finding something unique that you just don't. You know, you you hold on to it, and you add to that story. So I just love the idea that I can be in some city, and、I've, I'm picking up. A seemingly random item that might have came from the other side of the world. So, in your mind, you're always thinking, "Oh, where does, you know, how did how did the how did this T-shirt make it from, you know, Wisconsin to a random market in Burma or Myanmar?" So, I've always had that sort of interest, and I think, yeah, we start when we started the the pop-up stall around Bangkok.、Um, We we found some success with that,、uh, but it, it wasn't a completely satisfying. I guess we we thought there was there was more that we could do.、Um, not not that the world definitely needs another fashion brand, but、uh, when when Nen found about、uh, the community up north, I think I was like, yeah, we had we had an amazing amazing experience the first time we went up there and visited. Actually.、Uh, We caught an overnight bus, and when we turned up to the collective's headquarters, there was no one there. So we were very concerned.、Um, and it turns out there was a big festival happening in the mountains. So then, very suddenly, we got whisked away on motorbikes and off into the mountains, and you know, just all these things. I think storytelling is important to me.、Um, dressing well is important to me. But yeah, I think. I can't say if there's any one moment that that sparked everything, but I'm probably going off on a crazy tangent now. For me, I think storytelling is important to me, and I like I like the idea of transparency with anything. Maybe in my journalistic background as well. Maybe you can explain what's the meaning of seeker and retriever. It ties in with a couple of things. I mean, obviously, seeking the act of you know. Searching for the truth, or searching for something unique and different,、uh, as we were just speaking about retrieving. I guess in a way, it's a it's a it's a synonym. You're also looking for something, I guess. But we also, you know, really like golden retrievers and dogs. So it sounded catchy to us, so we went with that.、Uh, Yeah, and I think when we thought about it with the golden retriever dog, I had a feeling. 
I had a feeling that like um, so re- like the, the retriever dogs. I love animals, so like that's part of my inspiration too. Um, so like the dog, gentle and honest nature, and it's like very friendly, kind of fit with the brand ethos a bit that we would also want to be honest with our customer. Seeker retriever in a sense, like the seeker and the retriever, it's also like feeding off each other, you know, maybe it represents us and the customer that we want to always give people honest story behind our items. Yeah. I love retrievers. It's the best kind of dogs because they they have the best... um, I don't know if you could say values, but those are the best, the more helpful, the most gentle, the more yeah. attentive dogs. And I love retrievers. Anyone can't love a retriever. It's impossible. Yeah, they're, they're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it has not been easy to go to this area up north and start working with this community. Right. Maybe you can share a little bit of um, insight, experience of the beginnings. Yeah, so it's uh, actually like quite a lot of a stumble for us, both working with the artisan themselves and the tailor, the home tailor. So um, as uh, we went on to research about the clothing production in Thailand. I mean, originally I wanted to produce somewhere else. I thought to myself, I'm already here in Thailand and um, it's always going to be good to support the local people who lives here. But at the time, like I wasn't really quite sure because Thailand production environment is still very much uh, based on fast fashion model. So people are very like into ordering like huge quantity of things, kind of like making them super, super fast, you know, without caring about the quality of the thing or just like little details that matters in the, the big picture. You know, so it was like a very much a struggle working with the tailor more so than the artisan, I would say, because um, the tailor that we have, we had to work super closely to make sure that the clothing is at the higher standard. They have to work with us to move away from the fast fashion sense. There's just like been a lot of time where I go to them and it's like, you know, it's okay because we can take time doing this. There's seriously no deadline. So our tailor do work on their own time. And they also propose us how much an item would cost, which to them is just like, well, what? I can price this myself. You know, like I'm not like, we're not trying to like um, cut them off or like make a bargain with them because think about, Back in the good old days when you go to a tailor, right, and you get a suit made or like you wanted a dress made, you're not going to be like, I need this in one day. And like it can be at any quality or any fabric that you want. Coming from also a consumer perspective for me, I would want good things for myself. So like, why don't I share also share that with my customer? So like um, we had a little bit of a learning curve trying to adjust that with our home tailor. And um, with the artisans, I think it's still like constant struggle with us because um, they can only uh, do what they can make, you know, only 30 meters of fabric a month. So our quantity of product is very low. For example, I would give you that uh, 30 meter of fabric would made four to eight pieces at a time why they can't make more than 30 meters because as you weave you you need hand and force to work on the manual weavers right so if it's gone longer 
the weave can be loosened and the quality of the yarn, it's inconsistent after 30 meters. We would tell them to cut it off at 30 meters to make sure that the fabric are weaved evenly. So that's the reason why. Because you, you were talking about 30 meters and 30 meters to make eight pieces. It's mm-hmm. not very big. It's really small. Yeah. We also are quite aware that we wanted to make it this way because we don't really want to make a stock of things. It's on purpose because we felt that if we made a stock of things and then it doesn't go to sell, then it was just sit there and then become a waste. And once it was made into like a piece, then you can't really do anything about it unless you recycle it into a bag or something. But then in that way, it kind of defeats the purpose of us in the beginning, right? That we don't want to make so much waste. So we would rather go with a small quantity of item and then to see how we go. And then if we see that a certain model is like selling quite well, then we'll make more. And so that's why you can afford to offer made to order because the pieces are made almost piece by piece. Correct. Correct. Um, We also want made to order to be like a part of the process and part of an experience to a customer as well. I think because a lot of people are still in this age, I think maybe, I don't know, like if you grew up in an age where tailoring is uh, popular, then it wouldn't be so unfamiliar to you to wait for clothes, Mm. you know? But people uh, these days are just like uh, very impatient, like me, myself included, um, with a lot of things because I guess technology, internet, and the fact that we are able to fly everywhere in a flash, but... um, also with that in a COVID time, then you kind of realize again that, you know, what if one day this all of the comfort, all of the fast paced thing that we're used to all of a sudden has stopped. And then you realize the power in yourself so much that, you know, actually I can wait a little bit longer for better things. Yes. That's a very good philosophy. Could I just jump in for a second here? Just to carry on from what Nan said, I think Uh, One of the things we're a little bit frustrated by, I guess it's the fast fashion thing, but it's also the need for constant sales, you know, flash sales, get everything discounted price. That's another thing where we didn't have to stockpile. We didn't want to be stockpiling clothes and feel any, you know, necessity to join in on this sort of vicious cycle where everyone waits for discounted goods and it just continues and more and more stuff accumulates and all it just leads to is more more and more waste. If you'd need to define some values for your brand, what would they be? Because I see so many values in your brand. So Um, The reason why we have so many values in our brand is because, you know, we're still a young brand. And to be honest with everyone, we're still experimenting every day with what value we can offer to a customer. But if there's one value that I have to choose for Seeker Retriever, it's definitely a collaboration with Artisan. So like, I guess last year now, (laughs) last year we had a chance to um, go to India to collaborate with um, Hand Block Printer in Bakru. And then we just realized that apart from Thailand, there are just so, so much information and so, so much to discover about the world of uh, artisan and handmade goods in this world. 
So we would really love to highlight that in our brand. Um, moving from natural kind of like hand-woven material, we also want to be working with many artisans from across the world, if that's possible. So that is a long-term goal for us, that each collection of Seeker Retriever will be focusing on one technique from an artisan. So we'll also always have new things to share with the, the customer about each artisan from all over the world. Uh, what about you, Carl? What's the one value you want to discuss? I think it very much ties in with the point that Nan just made. In terms of collaborations, I think what's very important to us is these fair working conditions, fair collaboration, like uh, on a level playing field. Um, that's why we like to operate in small batches to minimize waste, ensure that the people who are producing the clothes are, are getting what what they deserve i think that's very important to us and it determines a lot of a lot of how we approach what we do i think and i want to add a little bit here that i think with the collaboration also is going to be uh, a collaboration between uh, us and the tailor and it can also be interpreted as a collaboration with us and the customer that comes to us I guess the value of being a real human is really, really big with our brand. There are already like a few customers who just reach out to us through email and just like, hey, I really want this piece being made this way and that way. Can you do it? Me and Carl will answer personally, you know. So it's also a collaboration between us and customer too. Actually, I've lived a couple of years in Singapore and whenever I travel to Thailand or Vietnam or to Cambodia, I have my clothes made by a tailor and I really miss oh, that. Yes. I really, really miss that because, you know, sometimes there are things that you like, but it doesn't fit exactly the way you wanted it. And um, also, I think it's something that my mother, when she was young, she had her clothes made by a tailor. And there's a relationship that you build with your tailor. And it's something I really miss now that I'm living in Europe. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a human connection, you know, in this fast paced, go, 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 everything digitalized world. Yeah, and yeah. you have to wait for the piece to arrive. That's something unique. Yeah, I think a lot of people would find it annoying, the waiting time. To me personally, when I have to wait for something, it's just like when you get it, you know, like the feeling of imagining about it, thinking about it and getting it, then you feel it's worth it. It's like part of the experience as well. Mm. The, th the thank you messages that we receive from customers who have, you know, custom ordered something or, you know, they they've sent in their own sizing or changes they would like, moderations they would like to the items. I think that really means a lot to us. Um, you know, yeah, it does, does make our day, I guess. How did you manage to explain the waiting process to your end customer? Because it's very unusual. Basically, how did you find your first client? How did they react? Uh, our first client was actually from the pop-up store. We went back home to Australia the first year we started Seeker Retriever. And that was just like fresh off the boat. You know, we don't have any stock. We pretty much just had samples to like hang there at the pop-up market. And then we just have a little bit of like a sign-up sheet and like a little bit of the presentation where we explain to them, this is a process and how it's going to be made. And like we bought like a little bit of sample of the plant we dye with and little things like that. So it's like... Um, 
I guess more of like an educational aspect that you have to give to us customer. And um, I'll never forget our first customer. Her name was Sheila. And she was about 60 years old. And she bought a tunic in the color indigo from us. I mean, yeah, we do explain the reason why we chose to weave small and the reason why we uh, chose to work this with the home tailor. And um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of fact where like you explain it to certain people and sometimes it click and sometimes it doesn't, which personally I... When the business was started, I struggled with this a lot. You know what mm. I mean? Like when um, I guess stockists wouldn't really understand how we work and the reason why it has to be this way. And I get super upset and then I get super discouraged. But now like we're four years into it and we're, we're still here. So I'm just <laughs> like, maybe we must be doing something right somehow. And in the end, I just felt like the right people is there and it will click with you. And that's just how it is when the one door closed, the next door opened. Maybe Carl can tell you a little bit about our experience with our Japan stockist <laughs> as an example. I think, yeah, I think in, we've, had some, we've had some interesting experiences, learning experiences working with different stockists. Uh, the Japanese, we had, we've had some, some good dealings with Japanese clients and one thing we've take we've really learned from them is just attention to detail, very exacting, and it's something that we've learned in terms of the Thai market, which is still really growing. You know, uh, learning these steps of quality control, um, rigorous testing. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, I mean, Japanese they have a, a long-standing. There's this love of imperfection, but. That doesn't mean every imperfection is, you know, aesthetically pleasing. So it's something, it's really, really been interesting to learn on that front. Um, some other stockers we've had, you know, they, they seem to be on board with the message, but um, maybe seem to be in total agreement with what we're trying to do with the, with the brand. But then they'll put in a request and say, we need more things and we need it now. And it sort of makes you question how much they've, actually bought into our concept if they're demanding things be done immediately which kind of goes against the principles that we had which is i mean it's understandable that it's tough it's a, it's a change from how a lot of other brands operate but still it's a it's a big challenge for us i think yeah and i think what is important about your brand is that you know what you stand for and you know that your brand is not for everyone but just for some, and you only focus on those some that are aligned with your own values. Exactly. That's very powerful. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It means a lot when you meet other people who operate on a similar plane and just something clicks and you understand each other. Um, yeah, I think it's happening with more and more regularity for us. When I look at a brand, I'm always trying to see how you can scale. I guess that one of the ways for you to scale is to work with more artisans in other regions and or in other countries, like what you've started doing with um, this community in India. Is it the direction? Yes, correct. Um, our original goal for this year is actually to expand and work with um, artisans from all over the world. But because of the COVID-19, that plan has to be kind of a pause for now. But um, it really has given us some time to think, 
um, where we want to scale to. So like in the beginning, as Carl was um, mentioning a bit, we were stocking in Japan and then we were starting to stock at a few other places around the world. But then we realized that some of those stockists doesn't really align with what we are trying to go for as a brand. So the direction for us this year to scale, I'm not sure like uh, whether it's like scaling up or like actually dialing down, but um, we have been kind of ended some contract with vendors and stockists that we don't find aligned with our brand. And we know that what makes sense for a small brand is to try to find as much uh, stockists as possible for a scale. But we felt that what's the point and what's the meaning of being everywhere, but you don't really mean anything. But if you're with the right stockist who tells your story and the brand as you see it, that's more power to the brand and to your voice, you know. In a way, I don't think we can say that we're scaling up or scaling down, but we're just trying to tidy up like um, a little bit of a messy room to find, I guess, find stuff that spark joy, if that's a popular <laughs> word to say right now, <laughs> you know. So like... um. Not up or down, but like mostly finding the right thing for us at the moment. How would you define success for your brand? Uh, it's just like getting emails from a customer who's like, oh, I really love this. And like, you know, I wear this pants until there's holes in it. But I fix it as well and I keep wearing it. And it's just like to us, to me personally, it's not about appearing somewhere, having a fashion show. I just want to have that connection with customer. I never wanted to be that brand where uh, we are so big that we just have like a chat bot who answer to people. <laughs> so like, um, yeah, that's like success means to me. It's like you found your people. It's like you found your um collaboration you, you like you found your tribe kind of thing like that so I think that's success to me yes then you are very successful right now <laughs> yeah if you can see it that way yeah yeah oh, well and what about you Carl do you have the same definition of success I think I, I very much share what what Nan said um, it does mean a lot when we meet people who share our values and I mean, I, I can say there's a, there's a thrill sometimes when we might get some media coverage or, you know, uh, a magazine article in a magazine, that, in a publication that we really respect. But, you know, I, I, I really do value the one-to-one -one, um, aspect of reaching, of talking to people. I think that's a huge aspect for us. What about financial success? Is that something that matters to you? Uh, yeah, of course, of course. I would say like if we would love to scale our brand a bit bigger, yes, then um, not going to lie, financial success would be very helpful. But I felt if you're uh, kind of not value what you have and the connection with the customer that you have right now, then what does financial success mean? If a person wanted to buy things from us, but then like... Um, just going to throw it away in the week or two and then come back and buy it. Does that mean that we're actually successful in sharing our value with them? Yes, financial success is important and it will come at the right time and at the right place. But as a small fashion brand, we um, have to keep our expectation real as well. 
And what's more important to look past like the money aspect is to really connect with your customer to me. Yeah. Do you mind sharing one of the big mistakes that you've made as you were starting or as you were growing a brand that you feel comfortable sharing it? Oh yeah, of course. Um, so we can learn from. <laughs> <laughs> What occasion? I don't know, something, something a beginner's mistakes that you will never make again. Um, I think it's just related to um, the answer that I gave you before where I got really upset where if a stockist deny us or not seeing us as important. So back in the day when the brand started, obviously I'll find as many stockists as possible and then email them and then it'll be like 30, 40 stockists. And then like, we'll just say yes to everything because, you know, we wanted that exposure. But then like, again, like I said before, in the end, the type of exposure that we get from our stockists or the relationship that we have with uh, the stockists is not, Um, as uh, we hope it would be. Either it's uh, because they um, didn't really share our value or like just didn't understand our value that well. The learning uh, lessons from this is actually to, um, for me, it's really important to now to find people who was just sharing your, your voice. It's like not to rush into emailing everybody and wanting to talk to everybody and saying yes to all the opportunity because, you know, Like I said before, always, some people are for you and some people are not for you. And then as a brand, I think you just have to come to terms with that, that not everyone is going to understand or like your stuff. So you work together and you're married. How is it like working as a married couple together? <laughs> How do you want to take this one? <laughs> It's, yeah, I, I'm just curious. Do you have some defined rules? Because there's a lot of work. You know, how, do you, how do you work as a team? So there is actually a, another founder as well, um, Park, who works with us. But I think by working with men, I think we both have complementary skills and a lot of respects. Uh, I think there are times, yes, when we would disagree on how certain things can be done. Um, but at the same time, I think it's every day is, is a, a pleasure to work together. <laughs> oh, that's so nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's because we are quite different in personality. Like Kao is a yin and I'm the yang. So I'm like <laughs> this person who is just make last minute decision without really thinking things through and like have this, all the ideas all the time. So I'm like, oh, I have this, this, this and that, this and that. And then Kyle would just be like, okay. As like, he's a journalist and an editor more than me because I'm just like a writer on my free will. He would just be like, okay, <laughs> here is what we should do and we should plan this and this is how we're going to say it. And then like, he's always been like my biggest Alice on the side who is like my voice of reasons because like sometimes I will want to do like a crazy thing with design because not only we want our design to be timeless but we also want it to be functional so we want I wanted sometimes crazy design like buttons at the back and pockets here and there and then like he would test it out and be like you know as a guy like I wouldn't really wear this and things like that so like we'll kind of complement each other in a way yeah yeah I think also that we both have uh, a lot of experience not directly tied to fashion. I think it really helps with how we approach the brand. Um, yeah, and I think men is a great power in terms of getting things done, uh, working impulsively, 
and yeah, actually getting things done. Whereas I might lay back and be like, yes, we need to, we need to do it this way. We need to do it this way. But then to actually get it over the line, that then will crack me into gear. I think that, as you pointed out, that what helps you is that you're not coming from the traditional fashion world. And so I'm not even going to ask you, but you're not part at all of the traditional fashion system. You're not doing the fashion weeks. You're not working in seasons and all that, right? Correct. Like we're not um, doing fashion week or going to shows. And then like before when we were with a couple other stockists, they, we had a showroom. But then that, like now we're just completely out of the tradi traditional fashion process and it's quite forward looking considering the covid situation these days yeah i think so as this happened this year like i actually had a lot of time to think about this as well again like back in the day i would try to get in line i guess with a lot of the young brand and the independent designer where you have to go do the show and get funding and like pay magazine to feature your product and things like that but again i kept sitting down and I kept thinking to myself, is that really my value? And is that really what the brand value for? And some of the answer is no. And we, we have decided to kind of go against the grain a bit. But now it doesn't seem too weird, right, to be ordering a pre-order because I'm seeing quite a few, um, a lot of brand has started to tap into this kind of made-to-order um Thing or like a launch uh, things in like um, kind of like a capsule collection. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just to continue that, yeah, I think we were quite uniquely placed, whether by accident or by design, to the current situation. Uh, you know, walking around some of the, the malls in Bangkok, uh, central Bangkok is full of huge shopping malls. I think when you see the strain that is currently being placed, on these places that are usually massive, you know, centers of commerce, and now everything is 60% off. Of course, you feel, you, feel, you empathize and you sympathize with people, but also makes you think that something was broken with the industry before and that there has to be change to come about. Yeah, I think, that, and as Nan said, that we're seeing people having to adapt now and take different approaches hopefully in the right direction. So what's next? What's the new development for Seeker Retriever? Yeah, like, so um, we're launching our first collection that's officially outside of the fashion process. <laughs> right, okay. So like um, this next collection, because of, again, COVID-19 situation, we're going to go back to the basic of where we started with our first collection. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's just like time to kind of like look back and see what you've already had and really make it work, I guess. And um, like I said, I don't really know if this situation means we're scaling down or scaling up or not. But we're just going to go with this original idea of us that we always wanted to do where we wanted to go against the traditional fashion process that is a big strain to young designer all over the world and just trying to go our own way with um, limited items and that sometimes has to be pre-order and we have made to order products still. And then we will release only one collection a year as opposed to the traditional fashion calendar, which is two, up to six collections a year. 
if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? You can find us anywhere with uh, Seeker X Retriever. Like uh, we are on Instagram and we're on Facebook. And um, you can always reach out to us via email or like stories or anywhere. And I promise you, there, I promise you there will be no chatbot. Either me or Carl will be the one who answer your message. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. You Happy so to much. share. Bye. What a great brand. What really resonated with me in this conversation is Nan and Carl's integrity in their approach to business and also how daring they are in challenging the traditional fashion system. I also admire their clarity in what their brand stands for and how they accept the fact that their brand might not appeal to everyone and that's perfectly okay. Sometimes they might even have to say no to opportunities, but it gives them so much freedom to pursue what is right for the business and particularly for the people that are working with them. Secret Retriever is the type of business we love to learn from. Independent, mindful business founders creating a change in their very own way. Secret Retriever is definitely part of our tribe. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you very soon. Bye. Did you like this episode? If you enjoyed listening to Mindful Business Founder, you can share this with your friends who are also on the sustainability journey. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help other people like you find this podcast. Bye now and talk to you soon.